Joel usually has some great things to say while the children are dismissed. I'll just look at you for a while, okay? Is that all right? <laughs> We're going to be talking about God's Word. It's an honor to be able to share that with you. And uh, I know that it's, uh, it's a great thing to have worship and communion coming into a topic of anger. And I hope you understand that by the time we're finished. That there is a way to deal with our anger and it's pictured in our God. I have to confess, I was angry last Friday night coming into Miami to help start a biblical counseling center. And I was going to do a topic on the topic of transformed emotions. And here I was entering into that great opportunity with anger. And how, why was I angry? Well, I, we had gotten off the plane. It was about 9.30. Everything was fine. I was really looking forward to a great opportunity to drive a car that was $11 a day. Can you believe that? $11 a day. I could, too good to be true, right? But the point was we got off the plane and we started our walk. And as we were walking, it said, go upstairs to get on the tram. And my wife pointed that out very nicely. And I said, no, that's not really. That's We just keep going this way. So we walked the whole length of that Corso, and I was exhausted. We were exhausted. Not too angry then, but you know we're still getting that eleven dollar car. That's exciting. So we walked, finally get on the tram, and we didn't know where to get off to be picked up by the bus that took us to the place down in the deep heart of Miami, where he would drop you off, and you had no choice but to rent a car. That's what was happening at ten p.m. We walked in excited and exhausted, and when we walked in, uh, we were greeted by a receptionist there, and he said, "This is great. You got this all here. Let's see your." credit card and all that stuff. He said, now, you'll have to pay $30 extra a day for insurance. And I looked at him, and I looked at my wife, and I said, what is going on here? And I just I said something like that. And I started to have something go on in my heart. You know what it was? Two things when we deal with anger. I desire something, okay, and I deserve something. And that was really not happening. It was being denied. Desire, deserve, it was denied. And I looked at him and I said, this is a scam. I did. I just, it just came out of my mouth. What was going into my heart came out of my mouth. Can you believe that? I said, this is a scam. This is terrible. I'm from Charleston. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. And I got, he looked at me, he smiled. He said, well, you have to do it. It's a law in Miami. My wife's getting on the phone to see if that is a law in Miami, which it's not totally. But I looked at him and I said, uh, I said, I am going to report you. And he looked at me and smiled and said, who are you going to report me to? He said that at 1030 at night. I said, God, I'm going to tell God about this. I, I didn't say that part, but I should have, right? So long story short, I was very angry. And so what happened? I ended up, we ended up getting an Uber. And we sat there looking at him as we sat there waiting for our car to make him feel uncomfortable. But he wasn't feeling uncomfortable. And we got out there and we, we got on an Uber. I sat down in the Uber and the guy that sat there was a Vietnam vet who had been injured in the war and his whole future was smashed to blitherings and he said but you know what i believe god does everything for a purpose and that's why i'm here and i thought okay divine opportunity i come to find out he didn't really understand the gospel so we did a little talk on the way to where we were going in an uber paying extra money right to get while god made an opportunity out of anger right so as we talk today don't put me in a, a judgmental spirit and attitude when do you get angry when do you get angry and you end up uh, saying, I desire, I deserve? And before you say, I don't get angry, let me just say there are many faces of anger, okay? There are many faces of anger. We, t- we tend to use code words to pretend we're not angry. We'll say, I'm just bothered by that, right? That bothers me. I'm upset. I'm irritated. I'm impatient. I'm even maybe, see, where's the word mad, right? We just don't want to use that word anger, do we? 
But the reality is if I have something that I'm being denied and I believe and I want it, I desire it, and I believe I deserve it long enough, in the face of that offense, I am going to be offended and get angry. Now, how do you express that? Some of you say, well, I don't express that anger. So some of you express it by blowing up, right? And some of you push away. Uh, some of you may express it by clamming up, getting quiet, the cold shoulder treatment. We call it icy blue, right? The nitroglycerin kind of anger where you just pull away and freeze the relationship. Or the blow up dynamite kind of anger, right? And some say, well, I don't do either. I just, and you know what happens to us that don't get angry? We just bury it sometimes and get apathetic toward the relationship. We don't even identify what's going on. We have to try to see it. We can get angry anywhere, any place. You can get angry on the uh, church. You can get angry at church. You can get angry at home. When's the last time you were driving and you said to another driver, I can't believe it? Did you ever say that? Or, you've got to be kidding me. Or, what in the world? Hello, right? <laughs> you ever say that one? Someone turns a light on while you're trying to sleep in, right? So you're one day to sleep in, they turn the light on, make noise, ever happen. Someone puts your clothes from the dryer before they're dried on a pile of clothes sitting on a table with clothes you had not folded and they were dry. So now you've got wet clothes that are all cramped up. Someone accuses you of something you didn't do, like taking the clothes out of the dryer, right? <laughs> uh, maybe someone didn't make a good on a promise, they owed you money, right? Maybe your spouse did something that you just wanted to walk away from the relationship. It's inevitable, Jesus said, offenses will come, Matthew 18. It's inevitable. What do you do with it? What's going on in your heart when you're angry is so important. I desire this, we have to evaluate that, and I deserve this. And what the Lord wants us to do is change I desire to what does Christ desire when we are offended? And what does Christ deserve when we're offended? We need to identify it. Now, Paul says to get rid of all anger in this verse that we're going to look at. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says this. Uh, if you can go to the next slide, Danielle. We've got a few slides here. There we go. Be angry and yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. So we're not to let the sun go down on our anger. We have to learn to deal with it because it's dangerous. Anger has power. It looks for a way to express itself. It, it creates adrenaline and energy, just like that guy in the car business selling me. By the way, the name of that company was You Save a Lot, okay? So if you ever hear that name, just stay away from it. Stay away from it. It's a bad thing. Uh, but in anger, the devil gets opportunity to gain control of us, uh, little by little. And we can get little irritants that then end up becoming controlling emotions and factors in our life. That's what this scripture says. Don't give the devil an opportunity in your anger. Don't sin. It's an expression of spiritual warfare. When we think about spiritual warfare, if you've ever heard anyone talk about it, they're talking about demon of de depression, demon of anxiety, demon of this, demon of that. But the reality is the scripture focuses much on anger as a spiritual warfare tactic of the devil. Here in this passage, right, Paul says it. Three chapters later, he's going to say, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Here he's saying anger is a doorway to the devil's destruction, right? Anger, what you do with it. In James chapter 4, he would say this. In uh, conflict, what's the source of it? It's your desires that wage war. And then he'll go on to say, draw near to God, resist the 
devil in the context of conflict. Conflict and anger are spiritual focused, emphasized in the scripture. They are how the devil gets at us. It's a very powerful thing, anger is. We have to do something with it. I've told my kids since they were young, anger is a doorway to the devil's destruction, right? It's a doorway. Nothing destructive has happened in your life, in the big picture, until you allow anger to get a foothold. That's what Scripture is trying to tell us. That's why we have to identify where it's there. What do I, say it with me, what I desire and what I deserve, right? Those are two key questions that have helped. Now, Paul, after he says, be what? Angry. Isn't that interesting? You're going to get provoked. You're going to get irritated. As Curtis has said, you're going to be like a car, uh, uh, one of those bumper cars, and you're going to get bumped. People are going to do things, sometimes big, sometimes small. But in your anger, don't what? Don't sin. Now, after Paul says this, look what he says right after, three verses later. Let what? All bitterness... Wrath, and what does it say? All what? Anger. Isn't that interesting? He tells us, be angry, but don't sin. And then in three verses later, he says, get rid of all of it. You can't be angry long and still follow Christ. You have to deal with it. You have to do something with that anger. And Paul is saying that we have to get rid of it all. So this is the statement here. Paul commands us to get rid of all anger after he permits it. It's important to deal with anger because it becomes an opportunity not for destruction, but an opportunity for construction. It's not an opportunity to destroy things. It's an opportunity to build things. If I had gotten so angry that I was out of sorts when I walked into that Uber, I wouldn't have been ready, right? I would have destroyed that opportunity. So is anger bad or is it good? Let's ask that question. Again, it depends on why you're angry. If your I desire and I deserve is orbiting around you and it's not what Christ desires or deserves, you're going to get angry. I desire, I deserve. Anytime we get into that mode, we're going to wait for an opportunity to get angry. It's going to happen. Uh, You want something so bad that you become sinful when you're denied it. That's called anger. Now, we call this idolatrous anger. Uh, The Bible calls it anger of man. Idolatrous anger is when we desire and say, I desire something more than I desire giving glory to God. When we were here investigating 17 years ago, if we were going to uh, build, through the Lord's help, a ministry here, uh, I asked my wife if she would get rice stream for my drink on the way home. Uh, because we leave early. And I have a really restricted diet. And so my breakfast at that time consisted of cashew butter, rice cakes, and rice stream. Rice stream is really good. It's very sugary. It's for me. So she forgot to pick it up. And I will tell you that I didn't blow up. I just got quiet. And I was quiet until Knoxville, Tennessee, all the way. That's really ugly, isn't it? So now you can judge me, all right? And then I will judge you if you'll share with me with your little moments. <laughs> But the reality is, I worshipped Rice Stream. All hail the power of Rice Stream's name. <laughs> holy, 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 Rice Stream Almighty, right? Now, what are you worshipping, right? It's called idolatrous anger. You believe that thing can do for you more than God can. You believe that thing has done for you more than God can. I mean, we're all in it, right? 
My money. That guy was trying to steal my money. My money is important. Is yours? Yeah. I wasn't going to let him steal it. But if someone does steal it, what do I do with that offense? How can Paul say, get rid of all anger in the face of such offense? We have to stop saying, I desire and I deserve as we deal with anger. We have to stop saying, because it becomes idolatrous then. James 1.20 calls this the anger of man. And it says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. What is the anger of man? Well, there's two ways to say what the anger of man looks like, and you have those questions there. Two questions. Anger of man. Why don't you say those with me? Why are you angry? And what? How is it expressed? This whole sermon, by the way, is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 through chapter 5, 2. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Then a few verses later, he says, get rid of all anger. Man is angry in the Bible most of the time. He's sinfully idolatrous with his anger. I'm going to show you a few examples. You guys can probably recognize it. Cain, remember the story of Cain? He was angry, wasn't he? Cain was angry because he desired for his sacrifice to be accepted. Cain said, I deserve it. I deserve. I work hard for this. I present to God my best. And he says, no, I I want the blood of of a sacrifice. I want that. He was denied it. So he got angry and he executed a form of justice. And that's what we need to understand about anger. Anger is justice-oriented, okay? We're made in the image of God. We'll see that in a moment. But anytime we desire something and we're denied it, we believe we deserve it, our expression is going to be justice. Your justice might be red hot, it might be icy blue, it might be apathetic. But it's going to show up unless Christ helps you say, I desire versus Christ desire, I deserve versus Christ deserve. How about the Jewish leaders? Stephen shared the message, and he said to them, you stiff-necked people, you, you killed Christ. You need to repent, right? And what did the leaders do? They stoned him, right? What did they believe they desired? What did they believe they deserved, right? And then they had a form of justice. They're going to kill the one that denied them, their, their idolatrous desire instead of God. And what they believe they deserve instead of God. How about Jonah? Jonah was angry. You remember Jonah? He was so angry he got depressed. Anger can lead to depression, right? Jonah. Jonah believed he desired his enemies to what? Burn instead of turn. (laughs) Right? He wanted to see them suffer for all they had done to Israel. They were bad people. And Jonah didn't want God to be gracious. I knew he would be gracious. And Sometimes when I'm counseling a couple, and we can see that too in our life, we, we want to have someone get in trouble instead of get forgiven. <laughs> we want to see them, sh- we want to show everyone what they've done wrong instead of God cover up what they've done wrong. And then we move on, right? That's Jonah. We're so angry about that. And then lastly, sometimes we get the why right. But we get the expression wrong. Let's, let's look at this one. In, in, uh, in Luke chapter 9, do you remember the story of where the Samaritans rejected Jesus? 
And you had the notorious story, the sons of thunder, the sons of thunder, James and John. Here's what I'm reading from, from Luke 9. I'll read it for you. Verse 54. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they perceived this injustice. They were rejecting Jesus. They said, Lord, you want us to command fire down from heaven? Maybe for that car guy, right? Maybe not. Do you want us to command fire down from heaven and consume them all? And he turned to them and he rebuked them. This could have been a great moment for Jesus to declare holy war. He was going to declare holy war internally on our sin and our anger and our lack of honoring him through our response to being offended. And James, that's why he rebuked them so sharply. It was not anything close to the gospel that he was going to demonstrate and what the church was going to demonstrate through their suffering and offenses that they endure in the right way. The sons of thunder. So they were motivated right in some sense because they desired that Christ would be what? Honored. But their expression of it was not Christ-like. But they had not seen the cross yet, what we just celebrated in communion, to even understand the wisdom of it. Let me, let me ask you now. Ephesians chapter 4.29 tells us how to deal with anger in our words. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only a word good for edification. Daniel, can you put that up? I know I skipped that one, but I want them to see the, the connection of this passage. Paul is going through anger here. There it was. Uh, let all, it says, let no unwholesome word, Daniel. It's Ephesians 4.29 if you have it. If you don't, that's okay. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth when you get angry, when you're offended. But only a word good for, it says, edification or to build up the body of Christ. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And it says, do that so that it might give grace to the hearers. I want to ask you a question. Do you feel like giving grace when you're offended? Not at all. Unless you have some perspectives from God that help you. That's what Paul is trying to drive at here. Can you imagine if God, Christ had said, sons of, sons of thunder, go for it. Would Christ have influenced the world? What do you have? <laughs> In a negative way, right? We'd have been here not worshiping. We'd have been here trying to sharpen our weapons, right? We'd have worshipped around that and then go out and kill some people. But Christ didn't do that. He came to seek and save the lost, which is what he said to the sons of thunder. We are to let our words never be justice-oriented. According to Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome word, but only a word good for edification, that it might give grace. Let me ask you a question. What does grace do? Well, you all are here because of what? Grace. You're not here because God's poured wrath out on you, right? He talked to you about your sin, and it was a gracious way he did it. So the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God, the idolatrous anger. So can anger ever be righteous? We saw it was half righteous with the sons of thunder. Yeah, let's look at the Apostle Paul who wrote this passage. Paul became angry in Acts 16. The Apostle Paul became angry. Here's what he says in Acts. He says, We were going to a place of prayer, and we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. She was demon-possessed. She followed Paul 
crying out, These men are servants of the Most High who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. And this is Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Christ, come out of her. So here's an example of a sinful man becoming righteously angry and expressing it right. Paul, it says that she was doing this daily, and it provoked him. Why did Paul get angry? Why would that provoke you if people were saying, hey, this is a great guy. Listen to what he has to say, because it's bad PR if the devil's saying that for you. If the devil is speaking out of this woman one thing, and then he turns to what you're doing, saying, yeah, that's exactly what I believe. Now listen to me more. His association was being messed with here. And he was annoyed by this. So he finally turned, and he didn't massacre her. He ministered to her. He said, come out. The energy of anger was expressed there in ministry. And that is what we see in Paul. So he had that. How about Jesus himself? Jesus became angry. When did he become angry? Well, in the temple, two different times. A lot of people use that to say, I see, I can get angry too. Well, let's look at this passage for a moment before we say that. In the temple, he found those who were selling. This is John chapter 2. And he was seeing those who were selling pigeons. They're selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons for sacrifice. And there was the money changers there. And so if you can think of why they were getting angry, why Jesus would get angry about this, because you had $5. Let's say you have $5 in your pocket right now. And you come in here today, and the only way you can do a sacrifice to God is to go through me, the money changer. And I say, look, I've got a $1 money change here I can give you. You give me 5 I'll give you 1 and then you can go buy your bird. You know, you imagine that? Jesus was watching this, and it says this about Jesus. He was sitting there watching this, selling this, and he started making a whip. What do you think of that? Jesus starts making a whip. He didn't do anything to hurt anybody with it, according to Scripture, but he used it to get a little big and a little intimidating, didn't he? Can you imagine Jesus going around the temple with his whip? I mean, just imagine that. He's about to unloose. He's about to lose his cool. Is that what's going to happen? The disciples might be sitting there saying, "Yeah, we're going to finally get him. Call down that fire, right?" And Jesus drives him out of the temple. Why? Why did he drive them out of the temple? The Scripture says in John two that he did that because zeal for his father's house consumed him. When you're angry, what's consuming you? Usually, I desire this, and I deserve this. Not, what does Christ desire? What does the Father desire? What does the Father deserve? That consumed Jesus. He makes a whip. So there his expression was very aggressive. So should we do that? Is that biblical anger? Well, certainly Christ-like. Let's keep going on. So that's how Jesus expressed righteous anger. How about God himself? Let's go to the, the very Godhead. Why does God get angry? Psalm 711 says that God gets angry every day. He's a righteous judge who gets angry every day. Here's a shocking statement. Dr. Bob Jones, Dr. Robert Jones from Southeastern Seminary, now Southern, wrote Uprooting Anger, a very good book. He said this, statistically, the vast majority of biblical references to anger in the Bible are about who? God. It's not even instruction about us not getting angry is the emphasis. It's about God being displayed as angry. One prominent Bible scholar observes that 20 different Hebrew words alone refer to God 
and his anger. 20 different Hebrew words alone. In Old Testament, all 14 occurrences of the most frequent Hebrew verb for anger refers to God. And it's pronounced anaf. Doesn't it sound like enough? Anaf! <laughs> 20 different times in the Bible. 181 occurrences of the 229 times that word occurs, guess who it's talking about? God. I have had enough. When we add this to the rest of the Old Testament, we discover several hundred references to God's anger in the Bible. So in one sense, God is the most loving and the most angry person on our planet. Here are some emotional pictures of God's anger in the Old Testament. Ephesians 15, by the blast of your nostrils, the water is piled up. At the breath of God, they're destroyed. At the blast of his anger, they perish. Job 4, 9, the earth trembled and quake, and the foundations of the mountain shook. O Lord, at the blast of your, the breath of your nostrils, you rebuked them. You ever get mad and snarl? You ever just go... <laughs> That's what we're seeing of God here. Do you understand that? We're creating the image of God. We have that sense of justice that rises up because we have a right and we deserve it. We, we have a desire and we deserve it. And so God himself in the Bible, righteous judge, pictured that. God gets angry at injustice. And there is injustice all around us. That's why we're going to be tempted to get angry. There's abortion, right? There's politicians telling lies. There's... People in your life that will lie to you, right? We're going to be offended. God is offended every day. Let's look closer at God's anger. God is a, God is righteous and judge, just first. God is righteous and just in his anger. His standards are high. His standards are higher than anyone in this room. And he looks deeper into our sin than anyone in this room. He can see our heart, not just our behavior, right? He really can read it. He gave us a mouth to use in a right way, and we use it in the wrong way. And so every idle word, God says he will judge. That's pretty strong, right? Pretty strong. God's anger is provoked each time a transgression of the law is committed. Jeremiah 9.24 says God loves righteousness, and he's just in that. He loves righteousness. God is not just righteous and just. He's severe. God is severe in that. God's anger toward injustice is followed by punishment in the Old Testament especially. You see that. What does Romans 6.23 say? The wages of sin is what? Death. So God is righteous and just. Standards are high and he's just. And he then is also going to be severe in that. Every sin. Why was the couple in the Garden of Eden kicked out? How many sins did they commit? One, right? One sin. God's anger toward injustice is followed by punishment. He doesn't always take it immediately, but he does take it eventually. He owns vengeance. You know, Scripture says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. When you try to get vengeance, you know what happens? God gets angry at you now. Vengeance is mine, the Lord says. The Ten Commandments, if you look at those, right, we see that God gives the law. And he talks about the law in in. He killed 20,000 people for having sex outside marriage in number 16. That's huge, isn't it? 
God killed ungrateful grumblers who were rebelling against their leaders in 2 Samuel 6. God killed a man for trying to keep the Ark of the Covenant from falling. Think about that because he violated. If God's justice is so strict and terrifying towards sinners, he's angry every day. This isn't really happy talk, is it? But we're going to get there. We have to under, to understand anger, we must understand God's anger. He identifies with the injustices you've gone through in your life, if they're true injustices. Every wrong will be righted. Everyone. That's good and bad news. God is not just righteous, just, and, and severe. God is the avenger. God is the avenger. He is one day going to, in the future, fully pour out his wrath upon sinners who are not his through Jesus Christ. Here's what 2 Thessalonians says, chapter 1, verse 6. After all, it is only right for God to repay the affliction of those who afflict you. He's talking about his people. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. And to grant relief to all, all who are oppressed, and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in blazing fire, he will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God, do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will suffer the penalty of eternal destruction, separated from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might, on the day when he comes to be glorified in his saints and regarded by wonder with all who have believed, including you who have believed our testimony. There's coming a day of a vengeance. God is going to get fairness. He's going to get his way on the earth. And in Revelation, you know what you see in Revelation? The lamb that looks so innocent begins to be cried out to to say, save us from the wrath of the lamb. And the blood of those who die will be up, it says, to the horses' bridles for hundreds of miles. That's a picture of God getting vengeance. Is God angry? You better believe he's angry. Does he wrath have wrath? He has wrath. Does he love? Why? Because he loves righteousness. Just like when you get angry, you think God's not get angry? But here's the deal. Let's take a gospel turn. God is not only righteous. God is not only severe. God is not only the avenger and the judge. God is merciful and gracious. He poured out the wrath that we deserve upon the son he loved. And so then he could pour out grace upon us. And you know what he does now? He shepherds us. He doesn't judge us. He's our dad. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us with all wisdom and insight. We deal with anger the way God deals with anger in Christ. That's what he tells us. You can, he who has forgiven much, forgives much. He who loves much when face to face with an offense can still love. And that's what Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5 where this chapter ends, or actually begins, but it ends the passage that I'm speaking of. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God. Would you read that next phrase? 
as what? Beloved children, there are some of you here today that do not comprehend sufficiently the love of God for you. And therefore, you can't imitate him and love when you're not loved. And when I struggle to know that God is my Lord and that he loves me, I'm going to wring my hands and maybe get angry at an offense in a sinful way and not deal with it as an opportunity to do ministry. We love because he first what? Loved us. The gospel causes our desire, I desire to become what? The one who loves me, what does he desire? And the gospel causes our deserve to become what? What does he deserve? It's talking to a man who had a wife who was struggling to get it right. Some of you wives have husbands who struggle to get it right. Some of you have kids who you struggle to get right. Maybe in big ways. When he came to me, it was a big way. And he came to me and he said, Tim, I just, I've done everything I can. I gotta just get out of here. <laughs> and I said, before you decide all that, let's just talk about something. What do you want in this? What do you desire? He said, I, I just want her to make the home welcome for my, the, there was a blended family. Whenever my kids come, she doesn't make them feel welcome. And she's always wanting everything perfect and we can't, you know, all that. And it was really hard what I heard. And I said, well, listen, what do you believe? That could be a true offense. I don't know yet. I haven't talked to your wife, but let's say that is true. She really gets angry and makes your extended family feel unwelcome in your home. Right? What do you deserve? Do you deserve a wife that loves you like you want to be loved? Do you deserve that? And you could see the gospel wisdom start to come over his eyes again. It's almost like we go into this trance. I deserve everything I want, right? When we get angry, that's what seems to happen. The devil gets a foothold, starts to work in our life. And then we talk about the gospel. I just said to him, let's go to the cross for a minute. Let's go to the cross. Look at the cross. Tell me what you deserve. And he could get that right. You can get that right too easy. Oh, yeah, we're worshiping Jesus. I deserve nothing. But then you get up and someone turns a light on in the morning when you're trying to sleep, right? What are you doing? Okay, wait, I got it. And when it comes out, the worst thing to do when you sin is not to seek forgiveness, okay? Let's get that down right now. None of us are going to go home and be perfect on anger. But to not seek forgiveness and change, right? So this man said, I deserve nothing. How would you correct that? Give me good theology. What do we deserve? Wrath. Wrath. Let's say for this morning someone owes you $50,000. $50,000 someone owes you right now, and they only pay back 10000 How do you feel? Let's change that. Let's say that you owe a guy $50,000, and he gives you a million. Is that the gospel or not? And then you go out and say what? You owe me, man. And the reason I'm angry is because I what? Desire... And I deserve instead what we should be doing. If someone cheats us, we should say, Christ, what do you desire here? What do you want me to do with this? And there's wisdom that we have to get through that. We do have a responsibility at some level at times, right? Sometimes we don't. But we don't start with I desire. We start with the gospel. So basically, as we look at this last passage, we're going to move from being justice-oriented in our anger to being mercy-oriented. Doesn't mean you still don't talk. You speak wholesomely. You address the issue. You might even have to do some bigger things like bring them to church leadership and talk it through. But you don't be justice-oriented. You be mercy-oriented, ministry-oriented. 
Just, and these are the five words I want you to say and remember in your mind. Just as God in Christ. Could you say that? Just as God in Christ. That's the flip. That's the change. Here's the passage, Ephesians chapter 4, 31 through 32. There's six things that God says put off when we're angry. Would you say those with me? Let all what? Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Those six things were to put off. There's a progression going on here as I've studied this passage. Bitterness. Bitterness is that quiet anger. It's, it's when you perceive an offense. Something has happened and it's crossing your desire. And maybe it's a legitimate desire. And you start to get bitter. Bitter is a perceived injustice that's going unresolved. And some of you have unresolved offenses. And if you don't do something with it, it turns to bitterness. You gotta, you gotta resolve that somehow. Jesus Christ said he entrusted himself to him who judges righteously when he was offended and he was hurt. And so you have bitterness. Now bitterness left alone will turn to wrath. What is wrath? It's heat. It's energy. My neck, back of my neck gets red when I get wrath. What do you do? You know, sometimes there's a hair on your head, you know, back of your neck. It's adrenaline. Wrath is the energy to deal with that injustice, right? It's God snarling and fire coming out of his nose. The scripture actually says it about God. And you feel that, right? Adrenaline is that energy. So we're supposed to get rid of all bitterness, all wrath, right? And all anger. What's anger? Anger is the actual punishment. It's now you're acting on the injustice. You're doing something to punish the injustice now. Again, we have couple of different ways we can punish injustice. Blow up, clam up, right? Or just be apathetic. Don't care. Don't say anything to help them. We're to get rid of all anger. There are three forms of anger. Look at the next three. They're, they're, these are how we punish people. We punish people, one, through, what's the next word? Clamor. What's clamor? Noise. You throw something, you stomp, you slam a door. You break something. You attack a substitute like a dog. I never do that to Poppy, though. If we have Poppy or a little, we never do that. You clamor. It's noise. You're punishing through noise. Right? What's the next word? Slander. You punish through words. You take um, uh, an ounce of offense and turn it into a pound of information about how bad you are. You start judging their motives. You go deeper than what you can see. You slander them, you vilify them, maybe in your mind, maybe to them, maybe to others, but you go beyond what you're supposed to go beyond. You slander. And then the last word is malice. That's where abuse comes in. It's intent to harm. It's now it gets more physical. It actually is hoping they get hurt. Maybe you're at your hand. You see the progression here. What do we do with all that? Just as God, what? In Christ. That's what we do with that. And what are the three ways... Here's the three weapons as we seek to retool our response to offense in Christ and the gospel. Here's what it says. What are the three words? Say it with me. Be what? Kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. So we're kind. Kind is a deed done, an action done, attended to draw or influence the other person. There are good things we can do for others who offend us. We have to have wisdom sometimes in how to do that. But we're to overcome evil with what? Good. Romans 12, 21. 
I say to you, pray for your what? Enemy. Next time you're offended, that's some good advice. That's an expression of putting on kindness. Pray for them. What would you pray? In precatory psalms? No. That's not the New Testament. There's nowhere in the New Testament to pray that. You know, what are we to pray? Bless your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. They may be sons of your Father in heaven. What would you pray? Father, I am really struggling right now. I keep trying and trying to help this person get it right, and they keep denying my desire to do this. I think it's a good desire. Why? That's okay to pray, okay? Did you hear the little anger there? Why? It's reverent, okay? But it's why. And now what do you do? God, would you open their eyes? Would you help them to enjoy you like you are worthy to be enjoyed? Would you grant them repentance in this area? And I know I need repentance too, God, in areas. But this is a blind spot for them. And strengthen me to keep doing my job, even if they're not doing their job. Is that a good prayer, right? Do we ever do that? Do we ever draw near to God when we're frustrated? Or do we just sit there and let anger stew? Right? Be kind. And tender-hearted. This is the harder place, guys. It's one thing to be kind. It's another thing to be tender-hearted. Tender-hearted is a true thought about an enemy or someone who's acting like an enemy. That really isn't. A true thought about them that lessens your sentencing of them. Did you hear what I said? You know, when you have a jury and, and the, the defense is trying to, they know the guy's guilty, but they're trying to paint the guy not as bad as he did <laughs> to lighten the what? The sentence of the jury. That's what tenderheartedness does. It looks at the offense and says, okay, it is bad, but let me try to think compassionate. They have a story that got them here. They have a temptation going on in their life. Jesus practiced tenderheartedness on the cross. Can you tell me where that was when he looked out at the crowd? And there he's hanging all bloody, all beaten, bruised, not deserving any of it, not one bit of it. And 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 they're saying that he had a demon, and he can't correct that. Isn't that frustrating? I want to show them I don't have a demon. I want to call the angels. I want, to, I, I want to glorify who I am. Not right now. Not right now. It's not time for that, Jesus. Today's the day of grace, not the day of vengeance. And he looks out, and so to help him stay compassionate, what does he say? This is Jesus working through his anger. Father, forgive them. Here's why. Here's the compassionate thought. They don't know what they do. Now, if you and I were sitting there and we might say, no, that's not true. They know exactly what they're doing. And Jesus would say, yes, but they don't know fully what they're doing. Sin is blind. People are blind. There's a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26, and it says this. Servants of the Lord must not argue, but be kind to all, patient when wrong, able to teach. Gently correct those who offend you or oppose you in hopes that God will grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses, escape from the snare of the devil who's held them captive to do his will. He was talking about the blindness, and he said, Timothy, you've got to think compassionately about these people. They're blind. They're opposing you as the leader, but they're blind. So don't argue with them. Be kind to them and gently seek to correct them. Gently do it. That's hard to do, isn't it? 
as you realize that they're blind. I had a husband that I was counseling one time, and his wife, again, was struggling. You said, is the wife always struggling in your counseling office? No, not always. But in these cases, yes, these stories are, are here today. But, but he came in and he said, Tim, I, I applied Second Timothy to this situation. I said, well, how'd you do it? He got it half right. Let me tell you what he said. He said, I told my wife she had a demon. <laughs> I said, well, that wasn't right. That was the, I mean, the, she's not really demon, you know, all this stuff. We had to go through that. I said, that's not right. You have to be kind. That was to help you be tenderhearted, not to say that to her. And by the way, that scripture doesn't say she's demon-possessed. It just says she's held captive, and it could be in just this area. You know you have blind spots. They have blind spots. Tenderheartedness. And the last word is be forgiving. Be forgiving. Those who are forgiven much, love much. Luke chapter 7, 47. Those who are forgiven much, love much. We are to be forgiving. Doesn't mean that you transact public forgiveness if someone doesn't repent. But you're privately forgiving in prayer all the time. Mark eleven twenty five. When you stand praying, if you have ought against anybody, forgive them. You forgive in order that you might minister. Now you might do what God calls you to do. But anger will always be justice oriented. Without Christ. What do you do if the offender never repents? That's for another time, isn't it? But I will tell you, you can stop being kind and just be apathetic now. Is that what you want me to say? (laughs) No, you must persevere. You must persevere and, and get wisdom. What if the sin is illegal? Well, that's why we have the law. We God has been gracious to give us, and we have to be careful how and when. Get help. If you're here today and... You have someone in your life doing something so wrong and you're ignoring it. Don't hear me today say that you should just get rid of anger and just ignore what they're doing. You have a responsibility to love them beyond just ignoring it. It's in your anger, don't sin. It's just in your anger, do nothing. We have a lot to grow in. As I have grown in my Christian life, not perfectly, the first thing that God has been teaching me and continues to deepen is Tim. Don't be offended. You have no rights. (laughs) Entrust what you want to me. Then the second thing that he's teaching me is, how do I deal then with offenses? Well, first of all, you better be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving, or you have no business going in as a representative of Christ, right? And I close with this thought. When... The next time you're offended, I want you to remember something. God in the New Testament gets most angry with those who have been shown grace and gets sinfully angry. Let me say that again. So here we are. We all have been shown grace. You most, by and large, you in this room know of grace. But God would say, That when you get angry and you respond sinfully and you've been given such grace from me, that is one of his greatest offenses in the New Testament. Jesus said several times, my father will deal with you if you don't forgive your enemy. Right? He will not. He will do to you as you have done to them. And I'll read the passage and we close. You know the story possibly of Matthew 18. Parable of the wicked servant who didn't forgive. 
He was forgiven lots, and the slave went out and found someone of his fellow who owed him a hundred denarii, seized him, began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe, justice orientation, instead of kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiving, and then work through the injustice. You wicked slave, I forgive you all that debt. And so his Lord, and here's the phrase, moved with anger. The Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed. And my heavenly Father will also do the same for you if each of you doesn't forgive from your heart. That is a strong warning. So we have two, two things to be motivated by, the love and grace of God, and the future is good as long as we don't get sinfully angry. God's going to work it out for good. Or the fear of God treating us like we've treated those who've sinned against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We pray that as we leave here today, we will get angry at our sinful anger, if you will. And we will respond to opportunities for anger with grace. And we will be led from grace to speak truth in love. We'll speak wholesome words. Father, some here may have been offended in deep ways in their childhood and have never been able to forgive the enemy. They still hold on to some of that. Would you help them as they leave here today to focus on the cross? Some of us here, Father, get focused on smaller things. Either way, Lord, help us to not say, what do I, what do I have a right to? What do I desire? What do I deserve? But rather, what do you desire? What do you deserve? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.